Welcome to the Industry 4.0 podcast powered by Utilier. On this podcast, we learn about interesting technologies that are changing the way work gets done. Today, I'm speaking to Bob Sharon from Blue IoT about automation in buildings and smart cities. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Tell me, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about smart cities and in particular building automation and energy management, which I guess is uh, fundamental to any smart city is, you know, how do buildings and industry and factories operate in a better, smarter, healthier way. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Great. Tell me, what gives you permission to tell us about this? Tell me uh, briefly (laughs) your background and who you work for now. Okay, firstly, thank you for having me on the program. Uh, Very much appreciated. Well, I come from an IT background. My very first job a long time ago was operating an IBM 360 with cards. Uh, Mind you, it was ancient history when I got there, so uh, you can imagine. And then I got into cybersecurity in the early 90s, and uh, we supplied the first commercial firewalls. In 93, we flew out Gil Schwedt from Israel and ran seminars around the country. And one year later, supplied Checkpoint Firewall 1 version 1.0. And then in the early 2000s, I got into data centers. I grew to love them for some strange reason. Uh, So I got into data center design and I now judge data centers globally for the broad group for Data Cloud Global Awards. And I do it as a volunteer, I don't get paid. I do it for love. And then I got into smart buildings and cities uh, in the early around 2012, and that was through data centers because data centers uh, utilize about 2%, now 3% of the world's energy, and that got me into sustainable buildings and cities. Great. Okay. That's a fair resume. Uh, (laughs) Good stuff. So you talked about building automation and uh, management systems and things like that. You've lost me. Start at the beginning. Okay, well, look, every building requires, well, any reasonable size building requires building automation. And these spaces have been traditionally held by your vendors such as Honeywell, Schneider Electric, Siemens, Johnson Controls, Automated Logic. And it just means that you need to make sure that the air conditioning and the heating systems are working correctly, the lighting systems, that any alarms are going out if there's a problem with the elevators or the fire systems. So there needs to be a central point of control, and virtually every building has one, certainly of of a reasonable size. Your small one- and two-storey buildings may not, but certainly your buildings do. And so traditionally, they were there just to automate, to make things easier so the facilities manager or the building manager could sit in his or her office um, and see what's happening. If there's something wrong, the alarm would come up and say, oh, well, your pump is busted or something's not working. So today, of course, we're getting smarter and we're getting better at it. So what we're trying to do is not only do basic automation, but what we're trying to achieve is energy management. We want to better manage the systems to optimise them, make sure we don't have systems fighting one another. Quite often in a building, you'll have heating in one room and cooling in another room, and there'll be all sorts of things going and energy wasted everywhere. The other thing that happens is things break, but no one knows until it breaks. And then you get an alarm, oh, the water pump is busted for the chiller, so we can't get cooling into the building. And that's the first you'll hear of it. So what we want to do is get into predictive maintenance 
by understanding the electrical functions of that device and also the vibration uh, of that device. So there's a number of ways we can determine this and then we're able to be far more proactive and in many cases get to a problem possibly months, but at least weeks before there's gonna be a major failure, which means we can actually get a planned maintenance, planned repair, a lot cheaper, save a lot of money and a lot of waste and a lot of inconvenience. So that's basically what we're trying to achieve. We wanna make it safer as well. We wanna get the air quality, for example, much better. Now with COVID-19, for example, we wanna make sure that we haven't got too many people in the building. So we need to count the number of people in the building. We need to check their temperatures as they come in. We need to check proximity in meeting rooms. And then we need to manage airflows much better to mitigate the risk of the transfer of viruses and bacteria. So there's a whole host of things around air quality, mold, dust, and other things, which in fact, if we're on top of that, which we really weren't before, will actually enhance productivity as well. So there's a number of aspects now we're trying to move. So imagine that we were in building automation. Now we're moving towards the smart building. So we're managing the energy better. We're managing, we're doing predictive maintenance, fault detection and diagnostics to prevent outages. And then we're moving to health, wellness and safety. So that's a smart building. So you can see the, the evolution of where we've come from in basic automation. I completely do. So I understand the basis for all this mm-hmm. is putting monitoring and control systems in place for all of these things. Now, mm-hmm. can you tell me a little bit more about once you install those pieces of kit, what you mean by like, surely they all have their own control systems and whatnot. How do you pull all that information together? Okay. Well, it took us a couple of years to determine what protocols we're going to use to pick up the data. Traditionally, most people pick up data through the traditional IP network or from the traditional building management system that has its sensors linked. Mind you, the traditional systems are limited because they had a minimum number of points connected because the cost was prohibitive. Four to six hundred dollars per point USD is very expensive. And so people did the minimum only required to just automate, but nothing else. So there's limited data. And a wise person once said, you can't manage what you don't know. So we need to better understand that. So we generally, though we're we're agnostic, use LoRaWAN, which is a long range wide area network protocol. And line of sight in the bush can be, you know, 10 kilometres, six miles. And uh, in a building, we get good range. We can even go through concrete. We can go through a number of uh, areas, but obviously with much less range. And we're able to run our sensors, run on battery. So even a Wi-Fi sensor, for example, requires power unless you want to change battery every two weeks. So here we're looking at an average of five years battery life with a LoRaWAN sensor. So we can stick the sensors where we need to put them. So we gather the data we need. And our controllers are also LoRaWAN based. And they'll be running the actuators. They'll be running the various functions and relays. And again, we don't, we're on a radio network, but they run their own loop as well. They're each computers in their own right. So we can send updates and configuration files to them from the cloud. But if there was ever a disconnect to the cloud, they will run themselves. So all the smarts are in the cloud. There's no head end on site as in the traditional methodology, because that way we're not running disparate systems. We're running the whole place or campus as an ecosystem. 
And that way we can, you know, bring our machine learning, we can bring the totality of the data together in one place, analyze it and continuously optimize and improve and understand what's happening uh, at site. So therefore with all the data, and we may have other parts of data coming from other sensors that we're bringing in, we might be interacting with their FM management platform or their work order management platform. So if an alarm is raised, it automatically goes to get a a mechanical contractor out on site, uh, et cetera. So we become far more efficient and effective in the ecosystem and with our sensors as well. And we use third-party sensors too. It doesn't, they don't have to be ours. What's important is we're collecting the data and we're using the data and then we're applying it in real time and beyond. Okay. Sorry. So there's two things I just want to pick up on what you said. Just first of all, LoRaWAN. What's LoRaWAN? LoRaWAN is one of the major IoT protocols, uh, communication protocols. So LoRa stands for long range, wide area network, and it is considered a low power network, a low power wide area network. And people use LoRaWAN, NB-IoT is another one, uh, CAT-M1, and they use them because they use low power at the sensor level. And that way you don't have to run powered sensors with other platforms. Uh, so it's a wireless pro- protocol to allow these things to talk to each other, uh, the sensors oh, well, talk to each other. Well, yeah, when I say the sensors themselves don't talk to each other, they talk through our gateways to our cloud. Okay, sorry. But what's important, though, with that is they use low power. That's why we can get several years out of a sensor before we change a battery. And this is the holy grail in IoT, is how we can extend the life of the sensor itself because we're not plugging power onto it. We can stick it anywhere we want. So we're saving a lot of time, effort, and money here. So LoRaWAN would fit into the same basket as um, Zigbee or Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, effectively. Yeah, it's another protocol in that space. Those, again, all these protocols have their use cases. So they're all required. So it's horses for courses, I guess. We tried Zigbee in the early days, and Zigbee is great for ultra-short range. So if I'm in a hotel room, for example, or something, Zigbee works great. But if I'm going more long distance through walls and different things, it does not work. So that's why we had to look at all the different protocols. And to be honest, LoRaWAN is number one IoT protocol globally used. They're predicting, though though COVID may have changed it, they were predicting 200 million end nodes of LoRaWAN by the end of this year. It is the most commonly used IoT protocol in the world. Okay, great. So then you talked a little bit about sort of the integration of information from different sensors affecting each other. Mm. So are you saying the idea that the CO2 sensor or the dust sensor might flag a alarm for the something else that's the sort of thing you're talking about well two things so one flag an alarm to automate certain things so let me give you an example if you're in a meeting room and you've got 10 or 20 people in a meeting room and after one and a half hours have you ever noticed that you might be starting to fall asleep of course that's never happened to me no never happened to me never happened to me no um The reason that is typically, other than lack of sleep, is because the CO2 levels are going above a thousand parts per million and then continuing to scale up. That affects our brain. So there's a real reason why you're getting sleepy. And so what we need to do is better manage that and keep productivity levels and health levels high. 
So by monitoring the CO2 level in a meeting room uh, or in the return air duct as well, in the better management of your HVAC, what we're able to do then is say, okay, CO2 levels are getting up. We need to exhaust more air or put more air conditioning into that room so as to dissipate the CO2 levels. And we can automate that. So that's one. Two, we can then have alarms going off via SMS or email or whatever to relevant people and deal with it. Same with CO levels in the car park. That should also be managing the exhaust fans in the car park so we get rid of the carbon monoxide and other gases. So again, these are used to automate the functions. And if it still doesn't work properly, alarms go off. So having this data means we can just be so much more on top of everything. So um, thanks very much for that. So Bob, if I was interested in increasing the amount of automation and putting a a superior control system around Mm -hmm. my automation for my building or business, where would I start? Okay, well, as a general rule of thumb, I would look for organizations that have non-proprietary systems. For too long, we've been dominated in a market where, you know, everyone's trying to get you for a whole lot of money. And then as soon as you want to make a change and that change control logic or do something, you get the programmers and project managers in. It takes months, cast of thousands to make changes. It's expensive. So we need something where it's it's open platform. It's interoperable and where we're able to make changes and not be charged an arm and a leg and preferably not charged at all, unless you're adding things, that's obviously different. But at the same time, something that is going to save and provide a good business case. It's one thing to get a system, but it's another thing to say, well, how's that gonna affect my bottom line? And so the philosophy we have at Blue IoT is everybody should be a winner. And that includes staff suppliers, the clients in particular, and the planet. Everyone needs to be a winner. So I can speak from Blue IoT's perspective and our platform called Encompass Blue, and that is with our systems, we're generating savings in older buildings of around 50%. So imagine moving towards carbon net zero, getting an economic payback of under three years, including capital and ongoing maintenance subscriptions. Uh, Pretty good business case. So if we can bring economic uh, wins together with sustainability wins and human comfort wins, well, you know, everyone wins, no one loses. And so we need something that can deliver all of these, which means everyone can be, everything can be justified at every level, from the CFO level down to the ops level. The facilities people need full visibility from any device anywhere. And that's part of our platform. So whether you're running an Android, an iPhone, or your laptop, anywhere. You could be in Moscow, you could be in Hong Kong, or you could be in New York. Doesn't matter, right? You should be able to have full visibility and control from any device anywhere, which means in a COVID situation, you don't have to be at the plant room to fix it because most systems in buildings are legacy. So one question I commonly get is, can we leverage the existing system that we have? Now, If it's a legacy system, they're a hindrance to energy improvement because they're very highly proprietary. We throw them away in the bin and we start again much better. And considering we're about half the cost, a bit more than half the cost of traditional systems, it's still okay. Now, if you've got a one-year-old building management system that's quite new, you're not going to throw that away. We can leverage that. We can pick up its data. We can pick up the points. We can use that. 
and then add additional points and then manage the system as a whole. So that investment is not wasted. So that way we're able to deliver something. So as I said, at Blue IoT, we're now establishing partners around the globe because it's highly disruptive in terms of delivering so much good and so much savings, including for our planet. So it's just great. That makes a lot of sense. Great stuff. Great stuff. If you are going to go about implementing a project in this area, what members of the team should be on board? Who should this start with, Bob, in a company? Okay, typically this would start with the owners, the operators, because initially the people at the coalface are just busy fighting bushfires trying to keep the places going, whether it's a a shopping complex or a hotel or an office building or railway station for that matter, or a museum. They're trying to keep it going. So it's the owner operators of these places who manage and own these portfolios. They're the first ones to be interested because one, they want to reduce their costs. Again, post COVID now, rentals and yields have gone down because there's a lot more vacancies. And so we need to find out alternate ways to lift the values and put our heads up above the rest. How do we do that? Well, we reduce costs while improving sustainability and human comfort. And so by doing so, they can reduce their bottom line, but at the same time, show their sustainability credentials and reduce the pain and complaints as well within their buildings and facilities. So that'd be the first ones because they're paying the bills. They're the ones that are going to pay the bill, not somebody from the lower level because they have a hard time trying to get budget. So we need people at the top down to say, this is great. Then we bring the middle management on board and the facilities people because we show them this is going to be great for you guys because this is going to save you this. This is going to save you time. We're going to make your life easier. We're not taking away your job, but what we can do is make your job much more pleasant because you're going to know what's going on. And so we get them on site. So we're in the middle of a rebrand process in our new website. We'll have two languages. We'll have the language for operators and owners, and then we'll have the language for facilities managers, what it means for each of those groups. Okay. So in justifying this, like it's very interesting to me, you're speaking a lot about many different er- er- ways in which this is has a positive effect for a building, the people who use the building, um, the people who own the building, and the planet in general. It must be quite complicated to pull together all this different benefits to create the business case for the investment. Is that fair to say or not really? Actually, we're getting this down to a fine art. So though it's not that simple, we have created, when we put up proposals, we go through the details of the individual buildings that we have in the project and we look at the previous billing and costs and then we put together the business case and a performance guarantee as part of that business case. So we have skin in the game. So when we make a claim to say, we're gonna save you 30% or whatever it is we're gonna say, we provide a performance guarantee with our ongoing subscriptions. And so therefore we provide an excellent case and it talks about the payback, the ROI, the, the savings over 10 years. We're very thorough in the way we put up the business case. There's a whole section on the business case within the proposal. So uh, it's fundamental because at the end of the day, it must be justified. If people spend money, 
they need to justify it. The other benefit I didn't mention is that we can extend the asset life. So instead of spending four or $5 million on new HVAC equipment, which is costly, we might be able to delay it by five years and meanwhile get these huge savings in the process. Normally people buy new HVAC equipment to save energy now, but we can save energy now using the existing equipment. Okay, so tell me where this is all going, Bob. Tell me about a vision for automation in buildings in the future. Okay, what we're moving towards are truly smart cities, smart campuses, uh, smart places, and that includes your driverless cars, your traffic management, your urban planning. We're talking about really smart cities, much safer, much more pleasant, get rid of the pollution, get rid of all of that garbage. So when you go out, you can you can breathe, you can smell the, the food coming out of the cafes and restaurants and, you know, all that lovely stuff and, and the wine and, and all those beautiful things because without, without all that and without the fun, there's just no point. So uh, we want to make sure we ensure that stays. But it, it's certainly going to go to, for example, we're moving from one place to the other. So you're going to have satellite tracking of traffic. And so there'll be, we'll be able to get live diversions to, to take a different route, for example. We've got that now, but that will improve. There'll be a whole lot of other things that will come together in smart cities that will be run uh, certainly by machine learning and, and much more AI. AI in the built environment is very limited at the moment. It's early days, unlike in marketing or financial services where AI is everywhere. Um, it's going to be building and where we bring in digital twins and what I call four-dimensional digital twins that is actually doing something. And so we bring in VR, AR into the digital twins so people know before they get in where everything is. I've got an induction. I've got to go on the seventh floor to fix something and they can visualize everything. They know where to go to find the asset. They can sort that out and where that digital twin is also working model. And so what if scenarios can be generated and the AI will continuously optimize without human intervention? And it'll go beyond the buildings. It'll go to public places, open areas, make sure things are safe, send alarms when there's problems. So I see this is where it's going. My only hope is that we don't become too much of a nanny state. And that's my only concern where, you know, governments put their fingers in everywhere and almost tell us when we can go to the toilet. That's my worry at the moment, uh, you know. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Listen, that has been terrific. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot about this space. Where can people learn more about you and your company? How can they find out about you? Okay, well, they can come to our website, which is www.blueiot.com.au, and blue is the color blue, B-L-U-E-I-O-T.com.au. We are going through a rebrand process in January. Sometime we'll have a, a newer, much better website, but nevertheless, that's where they can go. Or they can contact myself at bob at blueiot.com.au. But if you just Google it up, uh, there's enough information there to sink a few Titanics on Google. In fact, we just took out the FM Global Commendation Award only a couple of weeks ago. So we are being recognized globally for our tech. And so it is taking the world on, but for good reason, for good outcomes. And that's what we're about. We're very much outcomes driven. So uh, we talk outcomes. We don't sell widgets. We don't sell IoT. We don't sell tech. We're talking about delivering outcomes and working with clients to deliver outcomes. 
Very good. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can subscribe on all the usual channels and find out more about our sponsors, Utility AOR on utilityAOR.com. Utility AOR can be your partner for augmented reality, improving efficiency and reducing downtime.